the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What could God do if one church with one voice in one moment said, Yes, Lord, whatever it takes, wherever we are, we want to shine with your light and love like a city on a hill. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Wow. I want you just to savor this moment. So maybe you would do what I've said many times in this room and say at every wedding that I perform to that bride and that groom. Maybe you would just take a deep breath and just breathe this in. Because some of you, you prayed that prayer that changed your life in this space. Some of you, you you stood right here and you committed your life to another in in this space. Some of you walked through those waters of baptism. Some of you have mourned with deep grief. And then on many occasions you came in and you brought the worries of the week to the Lord. You came in searching, and as he always does, when you ask, God answered. He, he met you at your place and, and your point of need. And I'm just here to tell you today that while that may be your past, our God has not changed. He promises to do that not only today, but he promises to do that for the rest of your life. But you may come in with questions because, in fact, we are a questioning people. (laughs) It's like we come out of the womb with questions and and we go through life with questions. And the youngest in the room today and those next door are wondering, what am I going to get for Christmas? Or how many more days of school do I have And then maybe you're here and you're a little older and you're thinking, am I ever going to graduate? Or or where am I going to go to college? Or do you think there's anybody for me? Will will I get married? Or what should I do with my life? What's my career going to be? Or or some of you are 40 or 50 or 55 years old and you're thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up? I still don't know. And some of you are thinking, is this the time to to step out, to retire, to to slow down. And our life is filled with questions. 
God gave us our little girl. We had no idea that she would be so inquisitive. And her mind is remarkable. She, she has almost a photographic memory. She, she doesn't forget things. And, and yet she asks a lot. One day on vacation, my wife decided to count how many questions Anaya asked. And she said, I'm not going to include things that she asked that are fair questions because she's blind and she's wanting to make sure she doesn't trip or, or get into trouble or, or do something wrong. And so she didn't count any of those, but she stopped counting before the sunset that day at 796. <laughs> we are a people of questions and and really, that's why we come into this space anytime is because there are questions in our life and, and we're wondering if God, the God of the universe, will, will meet with us and answer the, the biggest questions. And, and even when we go through specific seasons in ministry and in and, and, and our life as a church, we try to answer questions that help us all as a family understand where we're going. And, and that's what we've been doing over the last several weeks, even in regards to this strategic campaign. We've tried to say, why are we doing this? We begin by saying, we're doing it for you. Because God has a plan for you. But that verse that we get that reminds us that God has a plan for our life reminds us that God, God's plan for us involves him and them. He does it for his glory and he wants us to be involved in the lives of those who don't know him yet. He's put us here in this place to make a difference in our little corner of the world. So when we say it's for you, it's not a selfish you, it's a selfless you that's giving back to a glorious God. We say we're doing it for you, but we're also doing it for that next generation, those that are coming behind us. We're blessed to have five children. One day, God willing, we'll see grandchildren. Maybe if he allows, we'll live long enough to see great-grandchildren, as some of you. Anybody here that has great-great-grandchildren? Let me see your hands. A couple of you in the room. God is good, and we want to care for those that have gone beyond us, but we want them to find us faithful, right? We're doing it for the next generation. And we're doing it for this city. God has placed us in a strategic location. Our church has three campuses, but this central campus is the hub of our ministry and our mission. And we've discovered that within a 15-minute drive of this particular campus, we could touch more than 500,000 people. And you add in... The other two campuses, God's given us a big reach in this city, a city that he's brought the world to, a city that's a, couple, a, a location that's a couple of miles away from one of the largest universities in the country that has more than 5,000 international students, and a, a city in, in which we're told the largest mosque in North America is being built. We're, we're doing this for the city, and we're doing it for the nations, because not only are the nations coming here, but we want to go to the nations. There are 3.28 billion people in our world who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And we want to do everything in our power to let them know, because that's our mission. We're doing whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light of the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. 7,402 people groups, groups of people 
that have no active presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're doing it for the nations, but we're doing it for the kingdom of God. Because as we learned last week, God's vision is bigger than you. It's bigger than your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. It's, it's bigger than this city. It's bigger than the nations. God's vision is for his kingdom. Because all of this book, from beginning to end, is pointing to one who's preeminent, who deserves all. And his name is, say it together, church, Jesus. Ultimately, what God wants us to understand in this moment in our church, in these minutes in our lives, is that that which we do, we're doing for Jesus. To help illustrate that today, I want us to answer two questions. Perhaps life's two greatest questions, two philosophical questions that all of us have. Here's the first one. Who am I? Maybe you've come needing to have that answered. Maybe you already have that answered. We're going to answer that today. And then that second question, why am I here? Why am I here? I want you to pray with me once more. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we've gathered, we've celebrated in obedience, believers' baptism. We've worshipped you in song as you command. We've shared our vision for the future. We've sought your face in prayer multiple times. And now we open your word and simply ask, speak. Oh God, give us what we don't have that we desperately need. Teach us what we don't know that we can't live without and make us into men and women, boys and girls who are positioned in you to make a difference in our little corner of the world. Lord, in this moment, I'm thankful that in this room I'm surrounded by love. God, if no one else loved me like you do, I've got my family here and they love me. But Lord, in these years I know I'm, I'm surrounded by a church family that loves me. But Lord, today, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So give me the words to say. Even guide my thoughts. Just as you've guided me to you as my redeemer and my strength. Uh, one more thing, Lord. Would you allow today to be the day that somebody gets it? Where they're saved? Where they understand surrender? Where they forsake religion? And Lord, maybe the chains, the bonds of their past are, are broken and they sense and know you in a new and fresh way. 
Would you do that one more time in this place, Jesus? And we thank you for this. As I ask this in your name. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. We felt to do something officially, and I want to invite you to help me do that because we're so grateful that in the most unusual season in our world, at least in hundreds of years, we've had the technology for people who could not get out because of their health to continue to worship. And many are doing that with us online today. Would those of you in this room welcome those who are joining us online in worship? We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along with me. You need that because that will be a reminder to you that these are not my words, but this is the Word of God. And I want you to understand the context for that first chapter. Paul, the author, the Apostle Paul, he's in chains. He's in prison and and he's suffering for his faith. And I don't know each of you well and, and so I don't know your, your spiritual background, but maybe somewhere along the way somebody made you think if, if you did things right and, and you always obeyed God, everything would be wonderful in your life and you would have no trouble or, or pain. And, and I'm here to tell you today, unfortunately, that's not true because the, the gentleman that the Holy Spirit inspired to write a large portion of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul that, that we think of as the greatest missionary apart from Jesus who ever lived, uh, he, he wrote most of what he wrote in the New Testament while he was in jail knowing that his life would end. And that's the case here. And he's writing to a, a church that he didn't know real well, but he cared about. It's a church in a city called Colossia. It's in what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And he was addressing a couple of very real problems in that church. You would say they are threats to the church. And one of them was an ancient cult. It went by the name of Gnosticism. But let me just tell you basically what it meant. It professed that Jesus was less than God. That he was good and he was a prophet and, and we should listen to him, but he, he was not God. By the way, there are many who still believe that today. That was one of the threats he was dealing with, the deity of Christ. But then also he was dealing with the threat that many in the church felt like there was a secret system or society. And only a few of the people could really know God in the right way. So if you were to divide up our group, for example, today, they believe maybe that 95% of us, we could, we could love God and we could go through the motions, but there was really only 5% of the people that really understood. 
that knew the mystery. And the reason this is so significant, because as we're trying to figure out who we are and, and why we're here, I, I recognize both of these problems are threats to the church today. If we don't understand who Jesus intends to be in our lives and in this world, we will not ever accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And if we don't understand that the mission of God is available to everybody, not just a select few, then we will miss out on the very best that God has planned for us. And churches are eat up with that. In fact, we've got a name for it. It's called the Pareto Principle. Maybe you've heard it. it it's the idea that 80% of the consequence comes from 20% of the cause. In a church, we word it like this. We say 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And the only reason that could be possible is that many of the people think that, that they can't get in on what is best. So this is an important passage today. And it's in that context in the first chapter that Paul writes these words. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. And throughout Scripture, we see the reminder that we see in these very first verses. We know that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. I hope you recognize that today. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I know that from this passage because he begins by saying, I'm Paul and I'm here by the will of God. I've got news for you today. I'm Paul and I'm here by the will of God. It was 11 years ago. 11 years ago this month. In, in cold Branson, Missouri, that I kept getting phone calls from a friend named David Twitty. And, and he wanted to talk to me about this church. And I really didn't want to talk to him. But I would say, how's it going? And he would say this every time. It's a Chamber of Commerce day here today. Sunny and 75 degrees. And then he'd say, what's the weather there, Paul? <laughs> God led us on a process. That wasn't easy, but was clear. And so I know, I'm Paul, and I'm, I'm here by the will of God. And that same God has will, he has a plan, he has a purpose for your life. You can know and do the will of God. Isn't that exciting, church? But there's more. <laughs> there's more to this. After Paul encouraged them in that way, he then thanked God for them as I thank God for you. And then he told them why they were there. Listen to this, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. He's describing God's will for every Christ follower. And so if you didn't know it today, 
If you want to know and do God's will in your life, the first thing you have to do is look in God's word and say, what should it look like if I follow Jesus? And that's the passage that I just read. It's straightforward. God's will is his plan. It's not hidden. He, he wants you to live with spiritual wisdom. As Christ followers, man, we should be wise. Remember Solomon? God told him he could ask for anything, and he asked God for wisdom, and God made him the wisest person on the planet. And, and so now we have his writings and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And as you get into that daily, you can get some everyday wisdom that's a supercharge into your life. If you're a Christ follower and you're seeking after him, there's no excuse but that you walk in, in spiritual wisdom. But then he says he, he wants us to walk spiritually worthy. You know, there's a look that we should have. And throughout history, the church, with big old capital C, it's got this wrong because it's made the look about what we dress and how we cut our hair and, and the things we may or might not, may not have on our body. And, and the reality is that was never what it was supposed to be about. But there is a worthy look. There's a worthy walk. And all we have to do to understand what that is is we look to Jesus. Because you're going to see that in Jesus we see God. And in God we know what we're supposed to be like. We have a spiritual walk. He says not only that, you, you're, you're supposed to have spiritual wisdom. And you're supposed to be spiritually worthy in your walk. But you're supposed to do spiritual work. Nowhere. Say nowhere. You're right. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever find God's Word implying that the spiritual journey is something that you can just sit on the sidelines and enjoy. 30 years this year I celebrate full-time vocational ministry. And yet, I bet every year of my ministry I've heard people say, I'm just taking some time right now and I'm just going to soak it in. You go ahead, but you do that in disobedience. Because the Christ life is a life in which we do spiritual work. That's what he says he's qualified us to do. And in fact, he defines that with the word. It's the word maturity. He says, I want to be able to say to God, here's the church at Colossia. And they are spiritually mature. Oh, church that we call Mission Hill church that we say says we want to do whatever it takes wherever we are to shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on the hill I, I want to be able to present you to the Father and say that you're spiritually mature in fact at the end of chapter 1 that's how Paul defines it look at what it says in verse 28 it says him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ the summary of his previous prayer that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus not just to occasionally go through motions but to live your life in maturity are you mature God wants you to be mature in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus Christ God's plan and his purpose for your life is already clear you don't have to wonder what his will is for your life he's made it clear in other words God's plan and purpose for your life is all 
about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I love what Max Lucado said in his little book called Because of Bethlehem. He says, Jesus was in the very nature God. Before Bethlehem, Jesus had every advantage and benefit of deity. He was boundless, timeless, and limitless. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. Every rock and tree and planet needs a stamp that says, made by Jesus. He gets credit for the whirlpool galaxy. It contains more than 100 billion stars. He created our sun. More than a million earths could fit inside the sun. Jesus fashioned Betelgeuse, which if it were placed in the center of the earth's solar system would extend to the orbit of Jupiter. That star is approximately a thousand times bigger than our sun. And Jesus spoke and it happened. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.